0: Welcome to the United Reformed Church podcast,
1: a fortnightly series that explores the URC's focus on Christian discipleship mission
0: and what it means to be walking the way of Jesus today. In this episode of the URC podcast, our special guest is Karen Campbell, the URC's Secretary for Global and Intercultural Ministries, During recent Global and Intercultural Ministries webinars about what it means to be anti-racist as opposed to non-racist, it was made clear by people from all backgrounds that being anti-racist is a vital part of being a disciple of Jesus. There were also a lot of participants there, again from all backgrounds, who spoke very passionately and articulately in these sessions about their negative experiences in the church and in wider society. There were also people who spoke about their shock and upset the more they learned about these negative experiences. And so we're glad to have Karen with us today to help us unpack a lot of our questions about anti-racism, whether the URC is on an anti-racist journey, and what we can do as disciples of Jesus in our everyday lives to overcome racism.
1: Cameron, can you break down for us what is the difference between being not racist and anti-racist and why does it matter?
2: Okay right I think what I'd want to say is that I'd start by saying very very few people in church or society would recognize themselves as being racist or would say I am a racist. Most people in my own opinion as well most people are not racist but then the point is that not racist it's kind of individual and it's passive. It means that I have no animosity between this group or towards this group or that group or any other group, but it's passive. It doesn't require me to do anything apart from to not feel that animosity, to not engage in this behaviour or that behaviour. Although the majority of people are not racist, people, with black people and black peoples will still tell you that they experience racism in all kinds of ways. So even though people individually are not racist, racism can prevail. Racism, the status quo can persist because then, cause ra- cause the racism that we're talking about, it's, it's about systems. It's about the way that things are. Being anti-racist is not passive. Being an- actively anti-racist means that you look and you question and you examine and you challenge. It means that you start with the looking inside yourself. Maybe I'm not personally racist as far as I can recognise, but what are the things that I do? What are the things I engage with? What are the things that I am part of which uphold racist systems, which still disadvantage people on the basis of their colour? It starts with the self, but then it also looks around and outside to say, what can we do? What needs changing? What in the way that things are usually done and generally accepted, actually, it's just inherently unjust and needs to be changed and transformed. So that's the real difference. It, it, it's, it's, a, it's a moving from being passive to being actively resisting racism and racist ways.
1: And thanks, Karen. And it seems to, I think that really simplifies the issue, isn't it? Moving from passive to being active. And um, it seems to have, it's, it's really prevalent in society now, isn't it? Um, why do you think that is?
2: I think the reason why it's being talked about more, to, to, be, to be totally honest, the, right now the reason is because of the murder of George Floyd and COVID. Those two, you know, events dominated the world's attention, and quite rightly so. And it shone quite a spotlight on the issues of racism, And systemic racism, not just about individuals being racist, but about the ways of the world being racist, the ways that our societies are organised being racist, inherent. And so it necessarily shone light on that. And so I think there's been, um, it's not that the racism wasn't there before, but it's that people have been made to sit up and take notice. And maybe because of lockdown, you know, so the world was at a standstill. And that was the moment in which George Floyd was killed. And so people couldn't help but see. People have been killed before, but we were all busy getting on with living. But suddenly we're at a standstill and this happened. And so people were outraged. And so, of course, that then fed into the Black Lives Matter sentiments and so on. That passion. It wasn't that they that it wasn't there before, but the focus wasn't there. But now we have the focus. And because we have the focus, people are realising, or people have realised, that being not racist is not enough. Because when we're not racist, George Floyd can still be murdered. When we're not racist, black people can still, you know, bear the brunt of all kinds of inequalities and, you know, know, unfair situations. They still have to work twice as hard or more to be equal. And people are realizing that that's what not racist allows to continue. And so we need to go beyond not racist to actively anti-racist to dismantle those systems.
1: Thanks, Cameron. Mm. I mean, some just to play devil's advocate, I think some people, some attitudes where George Floyd happened to America, that sort of stuff doesn't happen in the UK. You know, why are people toppling our statues and et cetera, and et cetera? What would you say to comments like that?
2: I would say. <laughs> I might need to invite you into the real world. <laughs> because those things do happen in the UK. There have been deaths in police custody in the UK. There are, you know, the statistics to do with um, disproportionate, um, you know, um, extent of stop and search powers against the black community in the UK. There are all kinds of issues to do with disadvantages pretty much across the board, across the spectrum of life in the UK. If you are black, and, and, and from, you know, ethnic minority backgrounds, all kinds of ways in which it is not an equal playing field. And I think people have been saying it, they've been recognising it for years. But as I say, we've been too busy getting on, getting on with getting on. And I think now people are even more in a place where they're saying, no, no, it is time and it's past time. For change and that's why it makes a difference here and those statues that have been toppled here it's what it's what those it's what they stand for you know so some people say well it's 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 our history the question is who is our who is our and why do you want to commemorate that history and of course i mean and there are those arguments that would say well fine that is part of the history but then tell the whole history because how many of the statues actually say who was a slave trader? Typically, it says something about what wonderful, generous works they were doing. But it doesn't actually tell the full story of where they got their wealth or quite who they were. And so this is, it's a source of pain to many people. Some people have no idea about the history. But those people who do have the history, those people who have to live in the shadow of those statues. Going backwards and forwards every day and knowing. That's what your history is, you know, and it hurts. And that's why statues were toppled here as well as in other places.
0: Indeed. It's been quite clear in the webinars that have been held by Global and Intercultural Ministries that there are a lot of people in the URC who who feel very much that as well, that day to day um, they have to um, live out these experiences and inequalities and disparities and and uh, even explicit racism um, mm. here in the UK. Um, I do want to ask about um, the URC and people's experiences um, of racism within it. Um, what have people been sharing? What, what have they been been telling us about uh, those systems within the URC um, that uh, still are not anti-racist?
2: Well, I think I think there's um, quite a breadth really of of stories. There are stories which I think um don't really need to be told by any individual as such. There are stories which kind of tell themselves. So for example, when we look at the the URC is nearly 50 years old. In its whole history, the, the the general secretariat has only ever been populated by white people. You know, there's only ever been one um you know uh, assembly moderator from an ethnic minority background. There's only ever been one synod moderator from an ethnic minority background, and the synod, um, you know, the synod moderator space has recently returned to being a completely white space. You know, when you look at the um, assembly committees, the conveners are, you know, white people, and also in, in in this mix, it's not solely, it's not, it's not totally this picture, but it is predominantly, you know, white middle class men. You know, but there are also, you know, white middle class women, but white middle class men. And these systems, they regenerate themselves because then we have a nomination system. Like if you ask somebody, if you ask somebody to, you know, who who can you think of? Who can fill such and such a post? Our default way of thinking is probably to go to people who we, it will be people who we know of. And the people we know of quite often is people like ourselves. So you ask someone in those committees, which are already predominantly white and middle class, Who can you think of? Well, they can think of other white middle-class people. And so the systems replicate themselves. So that is one side of the story that I think tells itself and that we need to kind of um, try to address and interrupt that system of self-replication. But then there are also then the personal stories. And I have certainly had, you know, had conversations with black ministers who feel that they have been, that they're treated unfairly in all kinds of ways. Ministers who maybe come from overseas to serve here feel that they are to prove themselves, to, to, to show that they can, um, you know, and I, and, and I want to note the inverted commas here, live up to our standards in the URC, whereas what they will tell you is they were coming with all kinds of skills and experiences, you know, they bring that with them but it's not fully recognized in this context. So they're jumping through hoops to do what they've always been able to do, you know. and they're coming to give their service in this place, but it's not fully being accepted or recognized. They point to things like um, you know, our arrangements for retirement and, 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 and pensions and so on, whereby because they've come from overseas and so they have a limited number of years of service in the URC, when it comes time to retire, they might not be fully qualified for retired ministers' housing or whatever the benefit might be. They want to know, for example, couldn't that money, instead of trying to find a huge amount of money to try to resettle them in the UK, give them a smaller amount that they can resettle back home, you know, where the cost of living is lower and they can, you know, get get properties to live in. But no, we also have, you know, um, testimonies from ministers who have gone to congregations who apparently they've been been actively told by one or other congregant, you know, that so-and-so doesn't attend when you're leading worship, you know, because they don't like your accent or they don't understand what you're saying, you know. And um, so it's like a kick in the teeth. And then, of course, there are the sort of um, people who have encountered gatekeepers So I've heard from you know um, members from people who have maybe felt a call to ministry, but in the local setting where they are, there's been a a barrier put up that no, their call is not being recognised. No, their call is not being recognised, even though those individuals feel absolutely convinced of their of their and barriers put in their way. Sometimes it's difficult. It's difficult to verbalise. There's just a knowing. It's a looking around and realising that the lie of this land does not represent me, does not represent equality and fairness, you know. And people just feel, feel tired, actually. And people, and what I'm hearing and have heard repeatedly, is people saying the URC is not good at following through with concrete action. So we've got lots of good intentions over the years, different resolutions. But in the end, we're still in this place where it's just unjust and it's not right, and people are tired.
0: Just thinking about some of those experiences, is the URC um, not racist? Is it anti-racist? Is it on a journey towards one of these? Where do you think it is? I think it's all of those.
2: (laughs) I think that, um, okay, I think what I'm going to say is this. When we, um, you know, when, when the resolution went to um, Mission Council in autumn 2020, asking the URC to commit itself to being on this journey from not racist to anti-racist. It was wonderful actually, that that resolution was passed with 100% support. I was actually quite surprised, you know, and that there was actually not a lot of resistance to it at all, you know, at at Mission Council. Um, And that was great. I was not surprised subsequently, to to hear from some people sort of saying, what was the need for that resolution? We're not racist. I've never found this church to be racist. We're we're so open. You know, we're so welcoming, you know. So I think it depends on where you stand. And I think people um, misunderstand um, wanting to move from being a not racist church to an anti-racist church. They think that we're saying, you as individuals are racist. that is not the thing we 're talking about the structures and we 're talking about the systems. Having said that, there is definitely racism and i' i 'm talking about personal racism within the uRC I have been told about comments that have appeared on you know Facebook pages and so on and and um, all, all, all kinds of negative things that have been said you know about um about Black Lives Matter, about Black people that have been, you know, and um, backlash after the statues were toppled and stuff like that, and some of those things, they are just racist. People might not recognize themselves as racist, but if you stand on the outside and look in, it looks very definitely racist. So I think there is racism as the church. There are racists within the church, but I think we are also very definitely on a journey, and I'm trying to encourage and enable that journey. And so some of the, you know, um, the conversations that we've been having, um, particularly recently in the Black History Monthly sessions, for example, some of those conversations are difficult and they're painful, but the people who are participating in them are saying, yes, it is really uncomfortable, but it's really essential, really necessary. And please, let's keep it going.
0: It's it's really encouraging to hear um, that, you know, We are on a journey, and and yes, there's a long way to go and lots to consider, but it is encouraging to hear that. Just to go back to some of the experiences that that you were talking about, there was some controversy back in April 2021, um, when the Commission on Race and Ethnic Disparities released an independent report, which basically um, suggests that um, a lot of, of these experiences are actually not generally down to race, but a lot, lot of other inequalities and disparities, um, and that therefore that's where we ought to be putting our energies. That's just my summary of it, um, you know, of what I read, what I understand the report's trying to say. Mm. What, what do you think about that?
2: It's not hard to believe that that's what they came up with, but I think it's just so far from reality. I think a lot of people were very, very angry. About the report, they think that it bears little um, resemblance to reality, and that they feel that it negates people's personal experience, you know, people's testimony. Um, so it's all well and good to, you know, for people on a committee somewhere to be talking about, you know, that it's it's not really institutional racism; it's it's something else. But then, but then it's strange that these negative. Um, experiences that these inequalities are happening to people whose skin happens to be dark why 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 does it happen to be concentrated in those communities whose skin is not white you know not that anybody's skin is white but you understand what i mean why would it be that it's affecting those people whose skins are dark and then you want to tell me that it's not about racism or you want to tell them that it's not about racism and i kind of think well actually Try to imagine and stand in their shoes and walk in their shoes a while. Hear from their perspective. You know, there are a lot of, um, you know, um, it, it felt a lot like smokescreens and a lot of commentators who are much more knowledgeable and 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 um, expert than I am. I'm by I, I no means an expert, but they were saying that you know that this takes back the conversations about race relations in the UK by you know sort of like twenty years. Because it's undoing so much of the good work that has, the, the limited but good work that has been done in at least acknowledging where we are. But this is pulling a smokescreen across it. And so, no, people were not happy. There was a lot of criticism of the report and a lot of anger about the report. And, um, you know, um, even in terms of a a forum that the United Reformed Church is involved in, which is an ecumenical, you know, body set up earlier this year. And they also made a response, trying to engage with it, with the the report, the findings of the report, even whilst, in a sense, distancing from, you know, from the content of the report that seems to be um, negating people's actually lived experience
1: you mentioned briefly black history monthly um when you were talking about how the urc is on a journey to um wanting to be seen as anti-racist there are race you know people have been making such comments and you know that can be termed racist and and you know it does want to at the same time it has been passive on some issues what is the URC doing to make it be known what it is on the journey to being anti-racist and wants to be seen as anti-racist
2: okay I think um well of course the, the, the the well maybe not the first thing but the first concrete thing was the resolution that went to General Assembly in autumn 2020, because that was very much on the back of what had been happening, very much on the back of the murder of George Floyd and, um, you know, and, and the COVID pandemic and the, and, the, and the inequalities that have been exposed and, high and exacerbated by the COVID um, pandemic. Over during last summer, we had run a number of online sort of Zoom events and so on. And one of the questions we asked in a Zoom event was, do Black Lives Matter in the URC? Because, of course, a lot of people are talking about Black Lives Matter and Black Lives Mattering and making all kinds of statements or views and so on. And so we didn't want to just pile in on that. We said, actually, before we start commenting on America and George Floyd and all the rest of everything else that was going on, what is happening right here? What are we doing and what is our stance? So we asked that question and we wanted to have a good look and an honest look at ourselves to see where we are and what we're doing. And that's where some of the kind of views started to come in to us about the things that are quite simply not right within our own body. So we need to put it right within our own body, even at the same time and before we start to comment about society and other places. So we were very much thinking about that. So we had a number of events, gathering people's views and talking to people and listening to people, which then fed into the, um, you know, the resolution of, you know, making the commitment to being on this journey towards being actively anti-racist. And that, that, that resolution, we were committing ourselves to looking at every aspect of our life every aspect so at local church synod level you know at at, at, at assembly um, in terms of our um, staffing in terms of our theology in terms of our hymnody relationships we're saying that we want to look at everything and so that's a a big statement a bold statement which is why i was so impressed and so delighted when it was passed with 100 support but then of course next comes the what next what does that look like in reality And that's what we're working on at the moment. So um, one of the things, I mean, we've been looking at issues, at things such as um, could we do a racial justice audit, for example? But what would be the parameters of that audit? Looking at getting someone from outside the URC to come in and have a hard look at us and, and hold up a mirror so that we can see what they see. You know, how are we doing? really and we think it's important that we ask people from outside talk because if we do it ourselves from within we've got vested interests somebody might say that as a black person I've got vested interest in saying there's stuff that's wrong and that needs putting right if we get white people to do it then people could say well they've got vested interest in saying actually we're doing great and we don't need to change if we do it together internally it could be said but as ever the black voices get you know um held down by the white voices so what we think we need to do is to get someone from outside who is independent, who has no vested interest to hold the mirror up and say, this is what we see. You know? We've been, um, more recently, we've been looking at um, maybe trying to implement a policy of affirmative action. And what might that look like? So some resolutions went to General Assembly um, this year, looking at the possibility of affirmative action towards an anti-racist church. And that was seeking specifically to look at our um, staffing, our assembly, assembly appointed staffing, assembly committee conveners and so on to see who is there and how the situation that has prevailed for so long. And I'm really pleased that actually at General Assembly, um, it was agreed that a small group should be set up to look into um, the issue of affirmative action and, and, and addressing those things and specifically looking at our recruitment policy for assembly, you know, assembly appointed staff, um, what, what, what is it that we're asking? What, what are the things, you know, what should we be asking? What should we be looking for? You know, um, there was one part to the resolution that didn't go through, and in fact that we, we withdrew it again, and that part was looking at the possibility of setting up some sort of skills and experience development program to better equip, um, you know, uh, participants for assembly appointed posts. Now, that did receive resistance. And actually I'm I'm quite happy to say I was okay with that resistance. I actually agreed with that resistance because the kinds of things that people were saying was that our black members and those coming from overseas and within that they already come with skills and experience. So maybe the problem isn't that they need to develop skills and experience, but it's the flip side that the URC Needs to start recognizing the skills and experiences that people and who determines which skills and experience. Because
1: so that, that would address the point that you made earlier on, where there's some feelings among those members who are, um, you know, not white and they're coming from these, mm. they feel that they're coming with skills and it's not being used, sort of thing. They feel like they have yeah. to jump through hoops. So, that audit, if we look at what skills they do have would kind of make URC a richer
2: place, isn't it really? Yes, that... absolutely, absolutely. I I believe so. And you know, um, I myself, although I was presenting the resolution at General Assembly, but I had my notes that I would have loved to have shared, which was very much, pretty much along along the lines that I've just been saying about yeah. what are the skills and how do we recognise the skills? And I and I...
1: and who makes the decision?
2: Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm in Isaiah, I think it's the end of Isaiah 43, where God says, see I'm, new, you know, see, I'm doing a new thing. Don't you perceive it? You know, don't keep looking back at the old stuff. I'm doing something new. Yeah. So I wonder what is the new thing that God might want to do and be trying to do through the skills and experiences, the different skills and experiences brought by this different cohort of people. But we're so busy looking back at the old skills and experiences and not opening the door to let the new bit, you know, come in. Um, yeah. And I think um, I just want to add on to that, that this again, when you asked me earlier on about some of the what what some of our colleagues are saying, this very much ties in with what some people are saying that they have gone for, they've applied for, put themselves forward for different roles and been told, you don't have the. you are a great candidate, but you don't have the experience. You know, we wish it could be different, but you don't have the experience. So, the, and so, and I think what some people are saying is, how will you get the experience unless you're given an opportunity? It must come from, somewhere. nobody's born with the experience. You must be given an opportunity to develop the experience. And so how will that happen unless people are given a chance?
1: Absolutely, well said, Cameron. Um, I, have, I have one more question for you, and that is the term B A M E. I'd like to know your thoughts on the subject. As you can say, not everyone will see the grin on my face. It, I mean, I'll be honest, I hate the term. It, it, <laughs> I hate the term. I hate the term. I, I just think it is so rude and offensive. I seeing a whole group of different people under b-a-m-e you know right. i'm a person i'm an individual i'm not a bammy <laughs> you know <Right.
2: laughs> what is your thoughts? i'm going to start in a place which is not necessarily where the place that i finish up and, and and what i'll say is this until very recently i would say i had no real issue with b-a-m-e per se i recognize that it is not um ideal but having said that i wasn't particularly focused on it because i knew what it was trying to do i knew what it was trying to say i have no problem with black because i know i'm black um me personally actually me personally i would class anybody who is not white as black i think the problem with that is that many of the people who i would include when i say black they don't include themselves so then right there we've got a problem how do you refer to the to the different communities without, you know, in a helpful way, without having to go through and list every possible iteration of, you know, um, ethnicity, which also would not be helpful. Um, I think I found um, BAME not particularly offensive because I thought, yes, I understand Black. I understand ethnic minority or minority ethnic in the context of, in the UK, those communities are the minority in number, numerically. You are the minority. So I didn't take that as a as a negative slant. I took it as a factual um expression. In this context, you are minority in numerically. Um, And 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 I thought that we understand what we're talking about when we say B A M E. I think um, preferred for me would be to use the whole words, Black, Asian, and minority ethnic, because then that would make it even more clear who you're talking about. I've gone with that. I know that others started to have problems with it and felt that by by naming in that way, you are othering, which is, you know, I guess what you were saying before. Um, but, but I think there needs to be some sort of language that we can use to be able to define what we're... trying to clarify and define what we're talking about. For me, though, I think... Two problems have um, particularly arisen. The first one is when people started saying "bame." Now that I cannot stand, absolutely cannot stand, because I think that's just lazy. And when did "bame" become a word? It's it's it's, it's it, it it was an acronym. It stood for it stood for something. So in the same way, we wouldn't say "usa" when we're talking about the USA. We don't say "uk" when we're talking about the UK. we 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 we, we say we either say the words. Or at least we say the letters and people know that, you know. But when did BAME become a word? And that, I think, does then just melt everyone together. And I think then the other thing that happened is when people talk about things that affect the BAME community, whereas BAME, to my mind, it's multiple communities. So you need to recognise that it's multiple communities. But when we start talking about the BAME community and this factor that affects BAME people, I think some of those factors do need breaking down because it doesn't affect, you know, Black African descent in the same way as it might affect, you know, even sometimes, you know, um, an Asian person and then, you know, or it might not affect the same way somebody who's come, you know, from overseas or somebody who's British-born Black and and stuff like that. So I think there are definitely um, shortcomings to the term. But then I think equally, any term, any term that we come up with will have shortcomings. No matter what term we come up with, there will be resistance. There will be those people who do not see themselves in it. There will be those people who, you know, and who just resist it. And I think that whilst BAME was not perfect, I thought that the majority of people understood it. Yes, I guess people don't, but I thought the majority of people understood it, you know. Whereas I think that some of the things, some of the terms being proposed, yes, we can adopt them. And I think people be really confused. I have no idea what you're talking about. you know. So we get a whole long list of letters and nobody knows what you're talking about. And I kind of think, how has that helped your cause? And what I really think in the heart of me is that we can have debate after debate after debate after debate about what term to use. And we're never going to reach a perfect fit. And But what's more, in the meanwhile, while we're busy arguing about that, the real injustices are carrying on. And so, and actually, the you know, the, the racists out there will be delighted if we spend our time debating the term and actually nothing is actually changing because I don't think the term actually really makes a difference.
0: Just one question we ask everybody who participates in the, in the podcast. Um, the the podcast, the URC podcast, is supported by Walking the Way the URC's focus on whole of life discipleship. The strap line of Walking the Way is living the life of Jesus today. What does that mean to
2: you? I think, particularly in the context of the conversation we've been having, I think it's about being radical. I think it's about not being. I'm coming back in where we started, not being passive, not just accepting the status quo, not just believing that the way it is, is either the way it should be or the way that it has to be. And I think it's about um, daring to speak up and to speak out and to live differently, to advocate for, for living differently. To speak, to give voice to those who maybe have been voiceless, you know, to, um, to cry out for justice where you can see the injustice. So this, again, is bringing the rightful circle back to the difference between not racist and anti-racist. So it's, it's, And I think it is a commitment then to believing and living as if we believe that God created the whole of humanity. in all all of our diversity, all of our diversity, and yet all are in the image of God, which just really renders racism completely ridiculous, completely ridiculous. Karen, it's been a real pleasure to talk to
0: you. Um, We've unpacked a whole lot um, about... um systematic racism that continues both in the church and in society and it's clear that the way of Jesus calls us to be radical dealing with it not just um, uh, not getting involved with it but in tackling it overcoming it and building that kingdom of justice joy and love for all people